The timing worked out pretty well. Um, I was actually preparing a sermon for homiletics class tomorrow. So the timing worked out. It was a psalm that fit in the series. I know we're jumping ahead a few psalms. I didn't count how many, but I know we're a few ahead. But uh, we'll just go through this real quick, and I'll just share a couple thoughts from the, from the text. Psalm 127. Let me read it, and then I'll pray for us. Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the grace and the mercy that you pour out on us. You've given us so much, and you've been so kind to give that to us, and you deal with us, not how we should be dealt with, but uh, completely opposite of that. And uh, we're thankful for that, that you've been so patient with us. As we look at this text, we confess that our hearts are often overly zealous for the wrong things, and it leads us to make decisions in life that often are overcommitments and things that are hard. And I'd be the first to confess that, Lord, and I'm sure many of us have at least been in a situation similar to that. And Lord, I, we ask that you give us grace as we open up your word, that your spirit would open our eyes and allow us to apply this text to our lives, to build us up and encourage us. I pray that you would help me to share the word clearly and to be bold and clear in how I speak so that it may be understood and that I may bring grace to those who hear. Lord, we love you very much. Thanks for all that you've given us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So I kind of want to start off with a little bit of a challenge. You don't have to do anything, don't worry. But the challenge is this. The next time you introduce yourself to someone, try to do it without telling them about your occupation. If you think about that, that's probably a little bit difficult. A lot of us find ourselves, especially in the culture that we live in, work tends to be something that defines us. Americans love their work, and if you don't believe me, you could take a step back and look at the 40, 50, 60 hour work weeks sometimes people put in. There's a lot of effort that goes in behind the scenes that people dedicate to their work. And I'm not decrying taking pride in your work. We should, in some aspect, in a humble prideness, if that makes sense, take pride in our work. We should work hard. God created us to work. That was something that he gave us before the fall. That was something that was given by God himself as a function for man to perform. The thing, what, what sin did is it corrupted work and it turned work into something that was to be used to serve our Lord and Savior and it was turned to be used for something to serve ourselves, to accomplish our purposes. And the psalmist here, as he goes through this, uh, Solomon to be specific, as he goes through this, he starts to unpack a right view of what the good life looks like. He goes through and he shows us truly what's really important in life. And even if you can't sympathize with a workaholic lifestyle that sometimes characterizes our culture, we can all sympathize with the fact that, you know, sometimes doing the responsibilities God gives us is sometimes a drudgery at times in the world that we live in. Sometimes just doing the right thing is a little bit difficult and it's hard. And sometimes we overcommit ourselves in the process. 
Sometimes we just end up anxiously toiling in pursuit of something that we think is going to make our life better, that it's going to satisfy. And in the end, those dreams and accomplishments we set our eyes on end up consuming our lives. And it leads us to actually avoid the very good things that God gives us to enjoy that we don't even have to work for. We forget that God gives good gifts to be enjoyed, that we should receive those with gladness and humility, not to work and to wear ourselves to death in pursuit of an ambition or a dream that somehow we think is going to be the solution to our lives. And so God graciously redirects our life and he brings us back with this psalm to remind us what's really important. What are the things that God gives that we should enjoy? God reminds us that he is the one who defines prosperity and he is the one who gives prosperity. Biblical prosperity is a real thing, but we twist it with our sinful minds and we make it into something that it's not. Psalm 127 is a song, a song of ascents, and this was something that was sung as Israel, Israelites would march up into Jerusalem for one of the yearly feasts or events that they would recognize. But Psalm 127 is also a wisdom psalm. If you notice as we read it, it's not like other psalms. It's more of a teaching psalm, if you've noted that. There's no exhortation to praise. There's no high and lifted up image of God, though it's there, it's just in the background. What Solomon is doing here is he's teaching us what the good life looks like. And so the, the main idea of this text that we're going to walk away with is that we must depend on God we need to depend on our God who directs all of our life for our good. God in his providence rules every aspect of our life and he brings it to bear on our life in such a way that it's always in our best interests, even though we don't always recognize that. And so let's take a look at this psalm. There's a couple ways, a couple different actions we can take in order to depend on God that we see in this text. The first one is we need to rest from our work. We need to rest from our work. And we see that in the first few verses here. As you look, the psalmist gives us three examples of what it looks like to not rest in the Lord. He has a couple examples here. He says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. So you can have someone who is putting effort and they're putting a lot of work into building a house. But if the Lord is not in the building of the house, all that effort that's spent is in vain. He uses an image of a city here. If you have a city that you want to protect and you stay up late and you toil to watch the city and to protect it, in the end, if the Lord is not in it, it's in vain. And then you see a third example here. It says, it's in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. It's a description of someone who tries to extend their days, right? They want to artificially lengthen their days and make them as long as possible. So they set their alarms at 5 a.m. and they push the midnight candle all the way to the end to like 11 midnight. And they try to stretch their days out by making their nights long and by making their mornings short. They do this in order to get something that they want. It's a picture of someone who's anxiously toiling for someone for something. And it's interesting that this language here actually goes back and reminds us of the curse that was put on the earth in Genesis 3. One of the words here actually leads us back to Genesis 3 when God cursed the earth after sin, that the work he gave man would no longer be effortless. It would no longer be enjoyable. It had the curse 
of difficulty. Work became something that happened by sweat, through the toil, through hardship. And what the psalmist is picking up on here is that the fact that life in a broken world is hard, but even harder still is when our ambitions get in the way and we try to design something and accomplish something that God isn't interested in accomplishing. See, the, the psalmist here doesn't say that we should never work, right? He's not implying that we should not put labor and effort into the very responsibilities that God has entrusted all of it to us. He's given us responsibilities and we must do our best effort. We must work hard. That's not something that the psalmist is saying, you know what? Don't worry about that. Don't do whatever you want. Just relax and rest and be slothful. The psalmist isn't advocating that kind of lifestyle. But what he's saying is, if God, first and foremost, is not interested in accomplishing what you're setting out to do, it's going to be in vain. It's going to be completely worthless and futile. Ultimately, a waste of time and resources. But the interesting thing is, Someone who pursues this kind of lifestyle, they do end up getting what they work for. If you look here, the person who stays up late and rises up early, they do get the bread they need, but they don't enjoy it. It's actually the bread of anxious toil. You can't enjoy the good gift you worked for because you slaved over it and did it in your own strength and not relying on the Lord who providentially works all things for his purposes. So this is a description of someone who works hard and does not acknowledge God in their efforts. But there's another person described here, and that's right at the end of verse 2. And this is someone who works hard, but at the end of the day, they recognize the results and the accomplishments lie in God's hands. And it's an interesting phrase. He says here, for he gives to his beloved sleep. And now that's interesting to look at. God gives the one whom he loves sleep. He gives rest to those at the end of the day who have worked hard. He gives them rest to rejuvenate and to be able to get the energy that they need in order to fulfill the responsibilities God gives them for the next day. Oftentimes, when we pursue something we want, we sacrifice things to get it. And often, I don't know if you're like me, one of the first things that goes out the door when I'm trying to get something done is sleep. Right? That's one of the things I've often said that I wish I didn't have to sleep. If I could stay up all night working on something and not having to worry about going to bed, it'd be wonderful. But God gives us certain limitations in order that we would learn to trust him more. We're not created to be infinite people who can accomplish everything in their, in their own plans, that we can have all the effort and the strength necessary to do what we want to do. God created us with limitations so that we would be able to trust the Lord to rest in him and to know that he is the one who accomplishes everything. It's not us, even though we participate in that. It's ultimately the Lord that builds the house, that protects the city, that ultimately at the end of the day puts the food on the table that provides for your hunger. God is the one who accomplishes all these things. When I was four or five, I was younger, my dad would take me out on the car and he would let me sit in his lap and steer the car. It probably wasn't maybe the safest thing to do, but we had this little neighborhood. It was very quiet. There wasn't any, any danger of someone running out into the road. So my dad would put me on, a, on his lap and he'd let me drive the car. 
And oftentimes I thought I was so, so cool, right? I was controlling this car. I'm, I'm a four-year-old in a car driving this Honda Accord around this little, little parking lot area. And I thought I was in control. I thought I had all the ability. I thought I had everything going away according to my plan. But the reality is my dad was the one who was actually had his feet on the pedals, right? He was controlling the pace. And, and believe it or not, he probably was holding the wheel. I just didn't notice it. Oftentimes we think as we're slaving and we're working at these things that we're accomplishing these great designs when the reality is our Heavenly Father is behind all this, animating and accomplishing the things that we think we're doing, but it's in reality, He's the one who's doing it. And even in the things that go wrong, even in the things that fall apart in our lives, God still is in that. That is his design. He's building the house. It might not be going according to our plans. It might not be according to our timing. But the Lord is still building the house. And he's the one who's doing that. And really, this drives us to prayer. If we want the Lord to be in our plans, we must first take our wills and yield them to the Lord's in prayer. We must ask his blessing on the efforts that we put into our work, our occupations, Maybe it's ministry as we focus on sharing the gospel with people. In the end, God is the one who determines the results, not us. But it also means that we need to rest peacefully at the end of the day. Oftentimes, working hard usually isn't something we struggle with. It's actually remembering to rest and take a break at the end of the day and say, you know what, Lord, this is yours. Sleep actually becomes an act of trust and a God who governs the universe. Going to bed and getting the rest that's needed is actually a very godly thing to do. And sometimes, as one person said, it's the godliest thing you could do is take a nap. Sometimes that's the best thing we can do in order to trust our Lord and watch him take the results. So if we're going to depend on the Lord, we need to rest from our work. But the other aspect of that, too, is that we need to invest in our families. And that's the other half of the psalm here. It seems disconnected, but it actually is connected with the first two verses here. The principle that God lays down is that he's the one who builds the house. He's the one who gives blessing, not us. And so oftentimes we get our our ambitions mixed up with what God wants us to focus on right in the here and now. And one of the things that he has given us to focus on is our families. God gives children to enrich and to protect our lives. And he gives, the psalmist here uses a couple metaphors to describe children. Look at here, he says, heritage. One of the aspects of children is not only that they're a blessing, but also that they're an investment. And I'm a perfect case study of a kid who proves that the blessing comes after a lot of investment, right? There's a lot of toil and labor that's gone in to my, from my parents to me to help me. And a lot of those things didn't make sense till later. And probably in order as things made sense in my mind and I connected dots my parents taught me over the years I'm like oh that makes sense and my mom's probably in the back going yes Joe you finally got this thank you thank you for finally understanding what what I've been telling you for the past 10 years but oftentimes children end up being an investment they're not a hindrance as often is portrayed in our society it's a gift from the Lord that is there as an investment for the future But not only that, are they an investment, they're arrows, is the other metaphor that's used here. They're a testimony and a security. And the example that the psalmist used here is this picture of a man who is old, right, middle-aged, maybe older, he has adult children, and at the end, near the end of his life, he's in the gate and accusations are being made against him. 
He's being brought into public court, and his, he's being accused by people. And in the end, what comes back and vindicates him is not what he accomplished. It's not all the things that he got done in his life. It's not the big plans. It's not the big building projects he accomplished. Really, what comes back and vindicates him is his investment in his children. His children end up rising up, and they don't let him continue in shame. In fact, they vindicate him. They provide security because ultimately what matters and what will last is not what we accomplish in this life, but the impact that we make in children and ultimately in people. Truly, the only way to perpetuate a name is ultimately investing that time and energy into the things that very matter. Children, people. And so this is a beautiful passage that unpacks that and helps us see that. One person described discipleship as leaving time bombs of grace in people's life. And I'm not a parent, so I don't understand exactly what parenting is like, but I imagine it's similar to discipleship in the sense that you're investing time and effort in the people. And sometimes you don't get to see the dividends of your investment in something until years later. And sometimes taking grace, taking time to invest in something, later on, children become that time bomb of grace that go off in your life and you notice and you reap the benefits of your investment in them. And so really what the psalmist reminds us of is that we must invest in family knowing that God is the one who prospers the home. It's not according to our efforts, the results of how people turn out, the results of our lives and what we invest in aren't what matter. Truly, the basis of this is what God does. But we work hard and we invest in family knowing that that is what God intends us to do. So maybe you know the blessing of having young children in the home, right? And you're, you're weary and tired of running around changing diapers or chasing kids as they go places they shouldn't go. Or maybe you have the blessing of adult children, right? And you've seen God's faithfulness proved to you, and you are now reaping the benefits of your investment, years of investment in those kids, and you see that back. Or maybe you haven't experienced the blessings, right? Maybe you've had some of the hardships, right? Maybe you had children who have had physical problems. Maybe Down syndrome came into one of your kids' life. Maybe spiritual problems have arisen in people's lives, and you've had to patiently parent and be along with the children and maybe they're not exactly where you want them to be but that's where God has them at this time or maybe you've wanted to have children but that has not been something that the Lord has granted you to have in this season of life whatever it is maybe it's infertility maybe it's a miscarriage maybe it's something as simple as just being single right and not even having the ability the opportunity to have children God has you in exactly where he wants you to be right now. God is the one who is building the house. It's not man who builds the house. And even if you so desire children and God has chosen not to steward that to you, that's not, that's not something that testifies to your unworthiness of that. God has given children in his own due time because that is what he desires according to his merit not our own. And so ultimately, we depend on God who directs life for our good. And we do that by resting from our work and investing what truly matters, and that is in family. And so we, God governs all these things according to his plan, and we can trust him that he will bring those, the fruit to reap 
in the due time that he chooses to do that. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the reminders that this text gives us to redirect our minds from outside all the cultural ambitions that often are laid on us. And the success of a good life often distracts us from what's really important. So Father, redirect our attention, bring it back to the things that matter. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.